Hello and welcome back to How To PhD, episode number 17. In this first of a two-part episode, we're going to be talking about why interview studies matter and how you can do them. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Aaron and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Julia. Hello. And in this episode, so we're this is a two-part episode and we're going to be talking about interview studies. Now we've both ran quite a number of interview studies in our PhD and research time, haven't we Julia? Yeah, I think it's a method that I personally feel quite comfortable with now and I really like it because I do enjoy talking to people um, one-on-one and um, hearing people's experiences and views and yeah so I think I quite like it so Mm. I'm happy to share um, our tips about that today. Yeah lots of practical tips in this one and in fact there were so many that we decided that it's worth splitting this into two parts Um, but I think the I think one thing to mention I think a lot of people are sort of turned off by the interview study method Um, but I think in many cases actually there's a really good chance for you to use them of course there are some PhDs where you might be purely lab-based where it might be a bit more restrictive, but I think there are many, many PhDs which could actually really benefit from using this kind of methodology. So it's worth keeping an open mind with this kind of method, even if you don't plan on using it. Exactly, and mixed methods, so where you use both quantitative and qualitative methods. Um, So interview study as an example for a qualitative study are um, becoming more and more important. Um, And I think the reasons why we're gonna cover that today. Yeah, that's um, right. But definitely something to keep in mind when you're doing a PhD. Plenty of examples that we're going to talk about. So uh, we mentioned two parts. So in this part one, we're diving into how to set yourself up for a solid interview study. So it's all the things that you can do to prepare yourself in the best possible way. Then in part two, which will come out next week, we'll tackle everything to do with the actual interview itself and how you go about analyzing it and lots of practical tips from our own experience of analyzing interviews. So four sections then four sections in this week's episode so let's start with section one which is why do an interview study in the first place so let's talk about why you might want to consider doing an interview study in the first place and julia um i think there's a kind of key reason right why you should consider doing an interview study yes and that's to get really in-depth information so as an example, um, if you want to know how many people in the UK want drink tea, um, <laughs> then you probably would not do an interview study, right? Because you um, want to know like quantitatively in, in numbers how many people drink tea. But if you want to understand really why people are like to drink tea, I mean, that's uh, <laughs> probably um, not going to happen this interview study. But then to find out key information about the motivation of people or their experiences mm. and views on something that's really where an interview study is super powerful because you have the chance to get a lot of really rich in-depth data that's right yeah and it all feeds into a mixed methods approach right because so for example in my phd i ran an eye tracking study and in this eye tracking study i quantitatively understood uh, exactly what bits of information people were looking at um, and actually it would have been super useful if I then followed that up with an interview to understand why did they use that bit of information right mm-hmm. it gives you that extra dimension which could have you know 
quite an important influence mm. on the final interpretation of your result. And there's many examples of where interviews and getting that qualitative, deeper understanding of mm. why someone does something uh, yeah. is really, really crucial. Yeah, so I used my PhD to find out people's experiences of using the pharmacy for sexual reproductive health services. Um, and I think, yeah, we're going to talk about that more, but I think really talking one-on-one -on -one with people um, was really mm. important because it's quite a sensitive topic, you could say, and there could really talk in depth um, with people about that. That's right. Yeah. And this is another opportunity where, you know, an interview gives you that uh, chance to potentially go into a topic which would just be too complex to try and properly do in a, a questionnaire format or yeah, in a survey. It's just not possible to it's really just... get down to the stories and experiences for people. exactly and often when you think about surveys you, you might think okay if i want more detail then i'll give them a box where they can just write some opinions for free or you know mm. free text box which no one ever likes doing those no, right but i mean you could use it i guess or a mixed method survey um to get qualitative um feedback but yeah it's it's a different thing right because it's not that you can then um, prompt people on ask follow-up questions if you just have a have a text box there so it's a bit different yeah. it is a bit different and you have that chance to follow up and kind of delve into a topic in a bit more detail mm -hmm. which is now actually links very closely to what we're going to talk about next which mm -hmm. is this part two around what are the types and modes of interviews that you can do So let's talk about what types of interviews there are and what kind of modes you can use to to run the interview so Types-wise, there are kind of three main uh, types of interview that you can run, right? Yes. So there are unstructured, semi-structured and structured interviews, right? Um, and I think which type you're going to choose depends really on your research question mm. as well. Yeah. Um, so that's very important, I guess, to start with. You should have a, a question in mind um, before you plan your, your interview study. So, but yeah, unstructured um, interviews are those where, as the name says, <laughs> you don't really have a structure. You have more like a broader question or a big question um, that you want to ask your interviews. Um, they're sometimes also called narrative interviews. And the interview is really shaped by the interviewee. So you can... Um, and let them tell their story so I don't know if you want to explore an historical event or um, please share your experience um, during this event or um, then then you just let people kind of take the lead and ask them they, they can just share whatever they want to really um, yeah um, share with that, that's right and the key thing with this is that you just don't have any structure there's no set questions you might just start with one question and you just let it you just let it go, um, yeah. which can be a little bit scary. And I think it's it's mm. potentially a little bit riskier to do an unstructured interview if you if this is perhaps the first one that you're doing. Um, it might be a bit difficult to kind of, especially if you're nervous, to kind of let that conversation flow and, and get what you need out of it. That's true, probably. I think for if you're doing interviews for the first time, um, maybe um, you need a bit more training to, to do that um, or you because you don't have something to hold on to um, to guide your interview. But um, I think, yeah, it can be quite powerful and it's usually more used if there's not much known about a certain topic yet or you don't know exactly um, which areas um, that you want to explore are important. You're just like kind of 
um, looking for what matters to people yeah. and listening to them and what comes out of what they are telling you. Yeah, you're sort of exploring a topic for the first time. Mm. But if this is your first interview, as you said, you might want to try a potentially more structured approach without going fully structured, right? And that's what they call semi-structured, right? Interviews where you have a set of questions, but you're quite flexible about the topic and, and if the participant mentions something which is not directly on your script then you're happy to sort of go off on a tangent or go slightly off topic so it mm. gives you a little bit of the kind of best of both worlds almost um, and it's cool because you might get a sort of spark of inspiration during the interviews that you can then follow up on something and this is what I did in my interview study when I was looking at kind of what information people need inside the vehicle. Uh, some people would mention something which wasn't on my script. And then I would say, oh, actually, can you just tell me a little bit mm. more about that? And it gives you that flexibility to, to mm. follow up on things. But you always have that structure to fall back yeah. on. Yeah. You, so you use what it's called a topic guide or an interview schedule, right? Um, where you write down some questions that you have in mind and maybe some kind of prompt so follow-up questions but yeah you can rephrase the questions and um, also you can um, develop this topic guide iteratively which means that you can as you said like if there's something really interesting coming out of one interview that you didn't expect or plan to you can then um, pick that up and and ask the next participants that you have about that to kind of um, follow this this idea up that's right yeah um, and, and i guess you know taking that analogy that you mentioned for the unstructured interviews is that in this case with semi-structured both the researcher and the interviewee are kind of shaping the interview together yeah. almost yeah. Um, and then of course you've got the other end of the spectrum which is the fully structured interview so the researcher essentially completely controls and shapes the interview um, and questions are completely standardized you you stick to the script you stick to the order um, you don't deviate from this mm. um, I think those that's really you're essentially doing a questionnaire mm. but on the phone yeah I think there are advantages um, in some ways it depends what you want to do but of course it creates a kind of consistency right if you mm, ask yeah. all people the same questions you get more consistency and um, imagine if you're maybe not doing the study yourself but with several other researchers then you have control of course that everybody will receive the, the the same questions but yeah it's much more inflexible um, and you might not get as rich data because you're not allowing to for these follow-ups or for the stuff that's coming out of the participants um, ideas to to follow up on that that's yeah. right that, that's kind of the main drawback but you know as a as an example you know in my in my recent research um, we found we're engaging a lot with taxi drivers and we'd created an online questionnaire right for them to complete um, but we found that actually drivers the taxi drivers don't like doing online questionnaires mm. and they just weren't clicking on the link to go to the questionnaire and, and fill it out so actually um, the telephone interview was basically a structured approach it was just the online questionnaire but in telephone format uh, and that worked really well so it has its pros and cons in fact all of them all of these different interview methods have their pros and cons um, but it's up to you to try and work out what was required for your for your study um, and what's going to fit best and I think as Julia said you know the key thing is if you have that research question defined right at the very beginning which I think we mentioned a couple of times across this podcast uh, the importance of setting that research question right if you've got that bang on then you should be able to work out which one of these types of interviews 
will fit best. And then, of course, the final aspect to consider is the mode of the interview, right? If you're going to do it face to face, if you're going to do it over the phone um, or perhaps an online format like Skype or Teams. Uh, Julia, you've used, I think, pretty much all of them. No, maybe Um, not face to face. Yeah, mainly telephone interviews, really. because, um, well, now the most recent interview study that I've been doing was very recent. So during the pandemic, where it would have been quite difficult to do face to face interviews um, due to social distancing, lockdown and so on. Um, and also, I think when, yeah, as a, a consideration was in my PhD, um, was that some people would find it a bit more difficult to talk face to face about a very sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So some people are more comfortable. Or actually, or, so I gave it to my p- participants to decide whether I would like to take part in a face to face or telephone interviews. And all of them chose a telephone interview. I think partly um, because of convenience as well for mm-hmm. them. Be- yeah. um, because um, so I was interviewing not only pharmacy users, but also pharmacy staff. And they have... Um, sometimes work really late in the evening, start more uh, early in the morning and sometimes also work on the weekends. So I think a phone interview was just easier for them to schedule in. And then yeah, for the participants, again, they didn't have to travel um, when I was doing it over the phone. And I think some people were just generally more comfortable with that. Yeah. And again, if you know your research question, um, then hopefully the mode should sort of begin to become clearer. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, a lot of the considerations that we mentioned about, you know, knowing who the type of people you're talking about are and the kinds of demographics that you're engaging with is very closely linked to what we're going to talk about next, which is how do you sample for your interview study? So let's talk about sampling for your interview study. Um, and I think essentially this the key thing here is we could talk a lot about, you know, probability sampling and non-probability sampling and maximum variation and all these scary terms. But I think the key thing to consider in this part, um, in terms of a practical sense for you as the, the student developing this study, uh, is really to think about, you know, who do you want to interview, right? Mm-hmm. And Do you want a widespread of people or do you want a very specific subset? Uh, Julia, in your study, you were looking for a particular subset of people who had used a particular service, but you wanted as many people within that as possible, right? Exactly, yeah. So for my study, I wanted to find out people's experiences um, with pharmacy-based sexual reproductive health services. Um, and so, yeah, all of the people, it would make sense, right, to speak to people who actually have used the service. Otherwise, how are they going to tell me something about exactly. it if they haven't used it, right? So it just makes sense. So again, so I was choosing a certain type of people. So not everybody could take part, only people who have experienced that service. But within that group of people, as you said, I wanted a lot of variation um, because um, if I only, I don't know, would interview females um, in a certain age then I wouldn't get maybe the variety of experience no. which was the the point of my research question if I would have just been interested into finding out about women's views if that's my research question of course then I would change that um, sampling or who I want to um, interview so I think it always goes back to the research question what do you want to achieve um, with your question what makes sense so I think um, before I think it's important to be aware of all different the different names of um, sampling strategies. I think the first thing um, should really be to take a piece of paper and write down 
who would it make sense to speak to what yeah. do you need to answer your research question and then also to consider what is practically uh, possible and um, so within the time limits that you have or resources that you have and um, what is actually be achievable and so based on that you can then go off and and try which kind of sampling type fits what what you want to do but i think that should come first before Absolutely. you just throw in yeah. some terms yeah you've got to i think the best thing is to start from that kind of place of writing it in normal human yeah just language. describing yeah. yeah and actually describing that was it. the advice because i wanted i thought i have to fit it into a certain sampling for i just want to say i use this approach but then when i did a training um um, on how to conduct and analyze interviews at Oxford University, which was really excellent. Um, in the end, the researcher said, like, just to describe and justify what you do. And that's that's enough. That's, that's what so, counts, yeah. right? That's what, in the end, um, people need to understand if they're reviewing your study. Exactly that. And uh, I think the key thing is, um, as you say, this is this is such a common question in vivas or defenses, um, is, you know, why you picked... Mm -hmm. the particular sample that you interviewed um, and so just to know these things as Julia said is really really important of course you know then the the other consideration once you've considered sort of who you're going to interview is how many people right and mm -hmm. and typically with interviews it's around 20 to 30 people will make up a good interview study I've seen mm -hmm. more right I've seen 40 and 50s but in my experience 20 to 30 is generally a very good interview yeah and thing. again a top uh, depends on your topic as well yeah. if you have for example if you're studying a very rare disease and it's really difficult to get people yeah. um then having eight people or ten people is better than nothing right it's absolutely um, yeah. um, still very rich and uh, valid data it's, this is um, it's a rich methodology and yeah. uh, for example in my study you know we were interviewing taxi drivers who we know are professional drivers right mm. and so what they say comes from years of experience so actually it was okay having a slightly smaller uh, group of mm -hmm. participants for that because they were experts in, yeah. in a p very specific thing that we were looking at so that was perfect and again I think if you're coming from a quantitative background you think like what 30 participants yeah. that is yeah. ridiculous yeah. that's nothing but um, I think the difference is um, it's that collecting and analyzing qualitative data takes a lot of time yeah. because within a 60 minute um, interview you get a lot of rich data that you have to analyze and so again if if you have a PhD project and you only have a limited um, time frame where you can run your interview study, it, it might just not be feasible to do 80 interviews or maybe you can do them, but <laughs> analyzing them, that's a different thing. So, um, yeah, the best thing maybe is to look at... Um, yeah, a, a study in your field, interview study in your area and kind of see what sample size they used, how they justify that. And you can quote that um, study yeah. um, to justify your own um, sampling size. So it's a classic justification that I think we both have done for our interview studies. So it's, uh, it's a yeah, very, it's a very good thing. Yeah, you have to start somewhere, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So um, once you have got your sampling strategy down and potentially you've talked to a statistician to understand, you know, what type of specific type of sampling you're doing and you've settled on how many people you want to get, of course, then what comes very closely after that is preparing for the interview study. So now that we have got to the end of this, how do you actually begin to prepare for the interview study? And I guess the first thing is, uh, as with all studies, and we mentioned this before in the ethics episode, is of course, check whether you need 
ethics in the UK, you almost certainly need it. And in a lot of other countries, it's a really important step. Yeah, if you involve humans as participants, then you probably need it. If you, in the UK, if your um, participants are patients um, or people working um, in the NHS, then you even need probably NHS ethics. Mm, So yeah, yeah, just have a look on your university website. And of course, part of that is understanding the sort of um, how you're going to sort of give a thank you to participants. So that might be in the form of a gift voucher or some form like monetary uh, thank you for them taking part. So that's all part of the ethics. And of Mm. course, is to think of your own personal safety, particularly if you're going to do face to face interviews. Yeah. So I had a safety training, which I thought was really good. Um, Talking about if you you go to someone's um, place for example to interview them some people might more, most be most comfortable in their own home or wherever it is so um when i was planning to do face-to-face interviews even there i had to say like how i would ensure my own safety at this mm-hmm. like thing yeah. this alarm around my my neck um yeah personal alarm personal alarm um but it's yeah i wish someone would have um mentioned that or i had this training when i was uh, doing my music degree because you're teaching a lot of kids at their home right and you don't know who's there so i think actually it's it's really good to it's an think important, about that. yeah it's something you might not consider that. which is your personal safety mm. particularly when you're planning the study but with interviews yeah you might need to consider that because you are working mm. with people and of course it's part of that ethics is things like the participant information sheet and the consent form which you will have to work out with your ethics board exactly how the best way to do the consent form is to get ethics for doing the consent over mm. the telephone for example but, or doing yeah, it in paper just maybe briefly say what it is so the information sheet that contains the information so that people can decide whether they want to take part or not and the consent form is all about um yeah whether kind of tick the box whether they agree to the stuff that yeah. you're going to do with their data and whether they really agree um, to take part in the interview schedule we mentioned that or topic guide um where you ask the question and there are a few rules right so like do's and don'ts so yeah so the so have. the final thing and i think the key thing in this is as you said the interview schedule so this is essentially your list of questions that you're going to ask them um as well as any prompts and stuff so we've got some do's and don'ts for your interview schedule mm. which is really the key document of all this um mm. so first off really is to keep it simple right and to use open questions right mm. which start broad and then move on to the more sensitive difficult questions yeah. later on i think I th- this is a good yeah good i think structure. my first draft when i first drafted my interview schedule it was far too detailed and like too long and my supervisor was keeping saying like just keep it to one page because the challenge is when you then interview people and you have all these thousands detailed questions and you have to listen at the same time it's really difficult to keep track of what you have asked what you haven't asked so better to keep it yeah maybe one one page um and yeah as you said like open questions you don't want to have a question that you can answer with yes or no and then yeah it's awkward and you don't know how to um get more information out of the participants so you want the questions to really invite them to give you an in-depth rich answer exactly that so linked very closely to that is the don'ts right so avoid things like double questions right Mm -hmm. julia yeah so where you ask basically two questions in one question so um Mm, yeah how do you feel about exercise and do you do it at the moment like again the second one is an awful one because it is a yes or no question i guess i mean you often hear that in (laughs) things like media uh journals and stuff where they ask two questions in one question just avoid that for your study exactly because otherwise you risk that one of the questions not going to be answered Um, and also you should avoid leading questions um 
what do you think about the awful diagnosis of diabetes? I, that's a bad example, but yeah, you should yeah, not. A good try. example, like you know, do you think automated vehicles are a good idea? Right, it's that's already, that's that's quite leading, quite right? Because yeah. so, and again, um, we could have an entire episode on what and what isn't a leading question, which actually is actually quite a good thing for the future we should remember that topic idea mm. um but yeah it's th this again so something that when you're piloting when you're testing your interview schedule this sort these are the sorts of things to look out for mm. um and of course uh i guess the ultimate thing is to avoid making assumptions about your interviewee so you know don't say things like you know oh i'm guessing you mean or oh you must mean by that this mm. this this don't put words into put into the interviewee's but, yeah, mouth you yeah, know just yeah let them if you need to clarify something then just have a simple yeah. question like oh can you tell me a bit more about that or mm -hmm. sorry could you explain what you meant by that mm -hmm. things like that can really help and we're going to have a few examples of these kinds of sentences in part two uh, of this episode um, or of this uh, theme of mm -hmm. doing interview studies julia was there anything more to add in terms of the preparation for an interview no, I think that broadly uh, covers it. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, if you have any questions for us, we're very happy to answer them. But I think we're fully um, going into more detail in, next, in the next episode. Yeah, that's right. Um, so let's give you a little one minute rundown of what we've talked about. So first thing to consider is why you need to do an interview study. And there's a whole load of reasons. Mm -hmm. And the key thing is really about understanding why, giving you mm -hmm. that chance to go in depth on a particular topic. We have many different types of interviews, structured, unstructured, and semi-structured, right? Which is fairly easy to remember. And again, hopefully your research question will define which of these modes that you take and of course uh, how you're going to do it whether it's face to face over the phone or over the internet sampling is a big statsy thing mm. um, but there are many different types of sampling the key thing is know which one and of course you can always base your sampling on something that's been done before and when it comes to preparing always check with every kind of study not just interviews if you need ethics think about things like your personal safety which you might not immediately think of at first um, and of course spend time preparing this document this interview schedule document uh, which is your list of questions that you're going to ask the participant keep it simple use open questions don't lead them don't make assumptions uh, <laughs> these are the key things but with practice hopefully all of this will come together and these tips will serve you well as you go and interview your future participants So here we are at the end of another episode of How to PhD. Thank you so much for tuning in again to our show. We really appreciate you guys being here um, and love the listener support that we get. Uh, of course, if you know of someone who you think could benefit from our episode on how to begin or this part one on how to do interview studies, then please do share this episode with them. And of course, if you enjoy listening to How to PhD and you would like to support us, you can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and shout out to everyone who's been doing that recently. We've had a few new reviews come in, which is fantastic to see. Um, or of course, you can visit our website at howtophd.show and leave a small donation through Buy Me A Coffee. And huge thank you to everyone who has left donations on there too. 
do get in touch with us as many of you have done already contact at how to phd show is the show email uh, twitter and instagram at how to phd show and of course as always our weekly thanks to jobs.ac.uk for offering to share our show on their platform we're so excited and hello to anyone who has found our show through their promotions next week jude we've kind of spoiled what's coming up next week but would yeah. you like to take us through what's going to happen in part two? Yeah, so we're going to really talk about or give you practical tips about how to actually interview and master the master interviewing participants and also about the analysis. Um, I think, yeah, with the interviews, that you could, there's so much you could talk about. Um, so we're just scratching on the surface. But yeah, if you have any questions, just um, let us know. And I think um, next time we can also share some resources and our the papers that we have um, that we have published um, for you to look at. Um, and hopefully that will help. <laughs> yep, lots of interesting stuff in the next one coming up. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you all next week. Bye.